Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Z. Welcome to the Z Dog MD Show live. It's Wednesday, August 12th. We're live on Facebook and we'll be on the replay on Instagram and YouTube and all the usual channels. Thanks to everyone who supports the show. All right, I wanna talk about healthcare professionals on the front lines right? And when I talk about this, I'm not just talking about doctors and nurses. I'm talking about interpreters and environmental engineers and the people who cook food and the clerks at the front desk and our social workers and our case manager, pretty much anybody in a healthcare setting is who we're talking about today. And what are we talking about? We're talking about a series that The Guardian and Kaiser Health News did called Lost on the Front Lines about how the number of people who've gotten sick and who have died in healthcare is probably been undercounted. There's at least 900 in the US already. And there's a <clears throat> really, really, really difficult piece that they did where they actually went through bios of as many people as they could. And you see how diverse they are, how they feel and look like us in healthcare and how they died, often younger, uh, without a ton of chronic disease, right? But maybe there were some risk factors, but they died doing their job. And what I wanted to talk about today was how our culture of medicine, and there was another Kaiser Health News piece that I also linked to, talks about how we go to work even when we're sick, we go to work when we're asked to, even when we don't feel safe. For example, not having enough PPE, hand sanitizer, not having protocols in place yet to manage COVID positive patients in the early days of this, and it, and it continues actually. But it's gotten to the point now where because these healthcare organizations operate on the tiniest of margins for staffing as it is, because remember 60% of say a hospital's budget, we've talked about this before, 60% of a hospital's budget comes from personnel costs, nurses, staff, et cetera. And so if, if, if you're talking about preparing for a pandemic and there's no pandemic happening and you're staffed up ready to go, that's gonna cost a hospital enough that they're not gonna be able to sustain that. Because remember, medicine is a business and the business of medicine means counting pennies. So instead of preparing for what would eventually be one of you know the, the biggest disasters for healthcare professionals in memory, which is this pandemic, hospital said, okay, well, let's continue to try to squeeze these costs 
be as efficient and lean as we can and so on. So then the thing hits, we don't have the capacity to spin up PPE and the staffing is already insufficient at baseline, right? In a lot of places. And now you have hordes of people hitting the emergency department with COVID or COVID symptoms. So what happens when a frontline healthcare worker actually gets sick? And I apologize, I'm looking off to the side here trying to pull up your comments because my phone is failing me as usual. Um, what happens when a healthcare worker starts having symptoms? Well, I will tell you, when I was practicing full-time for 10 years as a hospitalist, I took pride in the fact that I never once called in sick in that 10-year period. There were times when I got sick on vacation and I was like, perfect, I'm throwing up, this is great. I don't have to call in sick, I don't have to break my streak. But I would go in with terrible colds and coughs, have a mask on and take care of patients. Now, why? Because it sounds like you're being a complete a-hole if you're doing that, because you're putting other people at risk, especially in a hospital, right? Well, here's how the hospital works. Ain't nobody there to cover me if that happens. I mean, it is a disaster because we are tightly scheduled. And this goes especially true for residents and interns. That was another scenario where I never called in sick because you're so tightly scheduled and you're responsible for so much that it's acculturated into you that you don't call in sick. And that's, that's what we call this culture of presenteeism. You show up. And this is true across the board, right? So... The idea that you're gonna let your colleagues down, you're gonna let your patients down who you presume are sicker than you by not showing up is something that's beaten into you from the beginning. So people go to work. And what's happening now is they go to work even when they're not safe. They go to work when they have symptoms of COVID, but there's not enough testing. And they're told and shamed by their employer. Hey, you know, if you feel, if you're good enough to walk and you're doing your thing, come on in, just put a mask on, wash your hands. Where did we, th this is not a safe, if we're talking about a culture of safety, a culture of actual sustainability for both patients and caregivers, that's not it. And so Kaiser Health News just did a piece about how you know, some nurses in particular are being pressured. Every day they're out sick, they're being called. Hey, you know, people here are suffering, God, you, we're totally overwhelmed, you need to come back. And as soon as they're, you know, even, even, even if they're having symptoms, like, just, just come on back in. And CD, it got to the point where CDC had to have guidelines about this, where they said, yeah, if things are really overwhelmed, then you can have you know, people who are you know, still symptomatic as long as they wear a mask and they're not taken care of you know, immunocompromised COVID patients, but, but then, you know, in a pinch, then you could take care of anybody. I mean, it got, it's that bad the CDC had to say in a pinch because that's how short-staffed the hospitals are. Now, look at, the, look at the consequences. Who knows how important hospitals are as a vector of disease spread? Because, you know, you're in the staff lounge, you take off your mask, someone else gets sick, and then you look at all the healthcare professionals we've lost to this thing, right? Who are just, who are doing their job going in. You know, it seems to me the least that our medical um, businesses, and that's what they are, they're businesses, the least they could do is provide, you know, housing, temporary housing for people who have symptoms. They don't wanna go home to their family and make them sick. Because time after time you read the stories of healthcare professionals, 
you know, and it's it's predominantly minorities, it's people, again, who are at higher risk. And a lot of times you read the story and it's mom got sick, doctor got sick. They live together, they're spreading it to each other. Doctor maybe gets it from hospital, brings it home, or nurse gets it from hospital, brings it home. Family gets sick, maybe there's a genetic predisposition, maybe the family doesn't have that T cell immunity that makes them lower risk. Next thing you know, you've lost two family family members, you've lost three family members. The least they could do is provide like some temporary housing where you could stay, and some institutions did do this. The least we could do is provide robust sick leave that isn't threatened. Like in some of the stories we've been reading where nurses have had their sick leave threatened, you know, when, when they, they're afflicted with this. And the least we could do is stop shaming each other. It, there's a lot of pressure. Someone's homesick. They're just feeling it. They're like, man, I ought to be at work. They're so short-staffed. They're calling me every day. That, that is not good. In no other sector really would we allow that to happen, right? That's why they have substitute teachers. But we don't have, it seems, enough substitute nurses or substitute doctors. We're just not staffed that way. And in this country too, we've dug it ourselves a little bit, especially in, in on the doctor side, because the AMA and others have, have, have historically lobbied against more residency spots and more medical school spots because they like to keep the supply of doctors low so that they're as busy as possible and they're generating a lot of salary per capita. And I've talked about this before. In Europe, that's not necessarily the case. So in a way, we've kind of made this bed and now we're lying in this bed and then we're reading these horrible stories about frontline healthcare professionals who have died or have made other stick and, and then we scratch our heads, well, why? And one of the things I said early on in this pandemic was that we have to remember what happened here and use it as, as a model to improve for the next thing. Like we can't forget the institutions that mistreated us, that made us feel expendable, that put our lives on the line for profit. Like that, we, we can't forget that. And then, you know, you look at our trainees and, <clears throat> you know, a lot of them are coming in and doing the usual like man up, right? And, and dude, I get it, I was there. But what can't we have a provision where we have a backup pool that we can call on in times of emergency? And we need to change our culture. We need to treat our staff as the valuable parts of the team that they are. And otherwise you're just, people aren't gonna go into this field because it already sucks a lot. We go into it because of the idealism and the connection to our purpose and the calling that it is. But you keep, keep threatening our lives and our livelihood when something happens and that's gonna change. Let's, let's read some comments here. Staff is as expendable as the paper products, supporter Helen Carey says. It's how it feels, corporate healthcare will kill us all, Jennifer Ng. Feels like that, doesn't it? And then, you know, some, some, corp, some of these groups have done a good job of rallying around and, and doing their best and their, their administrators are working around the clock to make sure there's PPE and all that, but then some aren't. You know, and and it, and more important than who is and isn't is how the front line feels. Are they feeling supported and resourced and cared for and safe and in it together? If they're not, that's almost as bad as actually not being resourced. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Because in, in this thing, it, it is, it's a psychological thing too. You know, if you're going to work feeling like you're expendable, that, that is not a recipe for success. Um, COVID killed my nursing career after 20 years. Couldn't be happier, Sherilyn Morgan. See, some people are waking up and realizing they've been in crappy jobs, being mistreated. And they go to a different version of that or they find another niche and they're much happier. I've been advocating for this too. If we all voted with our feet, boy, I tell you, this system would fall apart and they'd have to change. They really would. You know, and, and, and speaking of which, you know, one of the other sort of modifications they've done is, you know, okay, well, how about we cancel elective procedures so there's more staff available for other things? Okay, they did that. What happened? The very for-profit and even not-for-profit companies that make up the majority of U.S. healthcare started to have to furlough staff and were economically devastated. We have a model, this fee-for-service, you know, pay-for-doing-stuff-to-people model that is absolutely antithetical to a situation like the pandemic. And then you have all the conspiracy theorists who are like, see, they're all upcoding COVID deaths so that they can get paid. It's like, dude, they're gonna do everything they can to make sure they get paid for the work that's done. Because without elective procedures, that's the bread and butter of American Medicine Incorporated. So you don't think that has to change too? Let's read some more comments. I love this comment, Shelly SC. He's nothing but a wild in sheep's clothing. I think she means wolf, but autocorrect. Charismatic, convincing, and charming, but a full-fledged liar. But again, you people buy into his word as if he is a god. Nothing surprises me. So what have I said, Shelly, that upsets you? Why don't you write that down? Because then we can actually debate it. So I love comments like that. Let's see, Carrie Allen, I'm even being put on floors I have no training for, like float pool with no training. And this is common too. So, you know, you know, med surge people going to a floor, they, you know, ICU, you have, you know, uh, everybody trying to t staff up in roles that they aren't comfortable. And now that puts you at risk too, in terms of donning and doffing PPE. And are you gonna have a greater likelihood of being infected? And if you read these bios, man, it's heartbreaking. And this weekend, we're shooting our music video for Waiting on the World to Change, which is up on Spotify and iTunes and SoundCloud and all that. It's our new track that celebrates this idea that the, the frontline healthcare professionals are doing their job while we're waiting for the world to get its ish together and the, and the admins and the business side of it to get their ish together, right? but we continue to do our job and that really speaks to this, but it's time maybe we stood up and said, you know what, we can help the world to change if we start voting with our feet and with our, you know, the creativity and the intelligence that is so rampant in this space, but is squashed, you know, we're afraid for our jobs and afraid for our lives and our livelihoods. Um, more and more coworkers are depressed, Lisa Leg, and that's the other cost of this that we're not counting. The PTSD, the mental health effects of seeing all this stuff happen, feeling unsafe, coming home to your family, afraid you're gonna make them sick. You know, th these are important things. And then having no paid time off and, and, and now, you know, there's not even vacation, right? Because vacation is you go home and you work from home. So I, I have a, just so many physician friends who, have to, they're forced to kind of take their vacation or they lose it if they're working for some corporate medicine entity. And they go home and they're sitting at home just catching up on charting and working because there's nowhere to go. And th there's no chance to recharge. There's no chance to get your bearings. And then you're back in the fray again without, you know, any, um, 
any realignment. Let's read some more comments. Um, let's see, let's see. Our director tells us we just need surgical masks, but he walks around in the hospital with an N95, Carrie Allen. <laughs> there's a lot of hypocrisy. Then there's a lot of great leadership too. So I wanna shout out the people who are doing a fantastic job. Um, let's see. I would quit. If you allow people to abuse you, they will. Put your feet down, nurses, Karen Elkin. That's a problem. They'll tell you you're expendable. They'll say, well, we'll just find someone else. But secretly, not even secretly, they're terrified. So it costs a ton of money to recruit more doctors and nurses. And it's so inexpensive to just keep the ones you have feeling supported, being supported, being listened to, being part of the team. And then your turnover is zero. And I'm I'm looking at everybody there who who are they're so short-sighted, you know. The, none of this is really rocket science. It's just human being 101. You make your team feel like part of something bigger than themselves and feel supported, and you should lead by example, lead instead of managing, and they're going to stay, and they're going to even when it's difficult. And I've seen this. I've I, I've seen this leadership, and I've seen teams that are inspired by it. Uh, Megan Strauss, we were required to float to other hospitals, sometimes over an hour away, enterprise-wide, with zero orientation. If we refused, our job would be lost, Megan Strauss. Tell your story to Kaiser Health News. So they're aggregating these stories in the series Lost on the Front Lines. And I haven't connected with them, I don't work with them, but I think it's a great thing that they're highlighting this. Like, it's it's really wonderful. Um Pinned comment, Tanya Burke, I think Logan pinned that comment for me. He's right, a CNA was coerced into coming back to work after COVID before she felt ready, had a PE on break and almost died. Nurse found her unresponsive and got her to the ER. There you go. How many people have had colleagues come to work in extremely ill states, either feeling pressured to do so or doing so out of just you know straight machismo or whatever the female equivalent of that is, and getting sicker? or having something worse happened. We had a classmate in residency who wrapped his car around a tree, broke his leg and nearly died, uh, working too many shifts at night and not sleeping. And uh, you know, it, it, and, and with the COVID thing, you're seeing it and you, you should read these articles. I mean, we've all heard stories about this, you know, people being pressured to come back. The thing is not safe for patients. That's the thing. And if we're talking about a culture of safety, how can you abuse your caregivers and expect safety to happen? You know, when they're risking their own lives, how, how are you gonna, it, it's insane to me. Um, Rich Winkleman pinned comment, my clinic isn't even testing patients that are exposed. Admin would rather have them work with symptoms than test them and give them time off. I've heard this again and again and again. Oh, you know, it's probably just a cold or something. Really? Fevers, body aches, chills, nausea at this time of the year during a pandemic, you're just not gonna test it because you don't wanna know because then it means more time off. That's insane. Now, for a second here, let's just be slightly empathic to this group. You're a leader, you have no staffing. One person calls in, it's a disaster. What are you gonna do? You're gonna do what it takes. That's the problem. We've set ourselves up to fail here. You know, it, it really is set up to fail. Um, and where's OSHA? They're like completely AWOL. 
You think, you know, and they're getting complaints, these horrible complaints. Where the hell are they? Our regulatory bodies, JCO and OSHA and all these, like, wh- where are they when we actually need them to do something? Now, I don't know what JCO's doing. I refuse to call them the Joint Commission, by the way, because that's a marijuana dispensary. Um, where are they? You know, th- th- this is their time to help the regulatory bodies. I don't know, man. It's really, it's, it's, it, it, what it means is that when this is all said and done, we hold these people accountable. And we start looking at our own lives and going, was it worth risking our lives to be mistreated like this? I mean, I know, I know, I know what my answer is, right? Um, let's see where we're at here. They're never there, Irene Headland. General strike, Garland Hummel. They're on the sidelines. I dealt with this in Tennessee. I know it says uh, Angela. I know two OB-GYN doctors who died in motor vehicle accidents en route to a delivery, Joan Londy. Happens all the time and we don't talk about it. And we don't talk about the PTSD and the other mental health stuff, right? That's going on that's rampant right now. Corporate medicine is destroying medicine and nursing, Paige Sweeney. Here's what corporate medicine should do and what our leaders should do. This is the bottom line. Create a financial structure where we're paid to simply do the right thing for patients, period. And what that means is, if you get that right, what that means is doing the right things for patients is supporting your team and your staff, creating a team and a staff, tying it together with technology that helps and doesn't hinder, open communication, being able to say, I'm sorry when you made a mistake, and then having a just culture that actually isn't retributive and doesn't try to witch hunt when there are mistakes and we grow our staff and our team. And we're paid to do that. Just do the right thing for patients, figure it out, figure out. We'll give you the tools to help you figure what that out is, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna hold you accountable to click these boxes and these safety measures and things like that. No, 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 no. We're gonna pay you to do the right thing for patients and measure some global outcome that measures that. And if you succeed, you figure it out yourself. You have the tools and the resources and the autonomy to do that. And then you get paid. Then corporate medicine becomes a force for profit through doing the right thing, doing well financially by doing good in the world. That's how it should be. Right now, mm -mm. you profit by doing a bunch of stuff to people, by cutting your staff, by cutting your costs, by putting people in danger, you still get paid. The CEO still gets a yacht. The shareholders still get their return because that's who the fiduciary responsibility is, not to the patients. And there you go. That's corporate medicine. And you know, I have to be honest with you, I hate corporate structures. I find them stifling. I could never function in them. There's a bureaucracy and a kind of a dehumanization that goes on. So we gotta fix corporate culture too, if you're gonna have corporate medicine on any level. It has to feel more organic, more like a, a, a more like a living organism that changes and evolves and listens to its cells instead of just being all central nervous system or something that thinks it's central nervous system. Um, pinned comment, Jasmine McGillick, too busy, concerned that I have my water bottle at my desk. That's what our regulators compare, care about is do you have a Snapple open at the nurse's station? Not, hey, are you safe, right? That's what it feels like. Um, Joan Londy, I was the only RN who showed up during the flu outbreak. They floated a nurse from postpartum to help me. The house supervisor came also. We had nine deliveries. 
And that's a culture of suck it up, right, Joan? Like that's what we're, that's what we're asked to do and we're trained that way, especially in medicine, man. Now, I don't know what the, the latest is. I feel like the culture of entitlement has crept through and maybe there's less of that now, less of the suck it up, but still, still. And we should have less of it, uh, honestly. We need to be supported. Um, thank you to everyone who's sending stars, by the way. So that's really what I wanted to kind of discuss today. If there's other comments that Logan pins, I'll hit them up. But I gotta say this, we cannot let the momentum of this disaster fail to allow us to transform this non-system. And you know, this kind of issue is just one of a number of things that needs to be fixed if we're gonna get the healthcare system we actually deserve for both patients and us. Um, Don Henderson says, suck it up is still abundant. You know what, that's to our credit. We, we, we wanna do the right thing for our patients and our team. That's a culture that we should celebrate. The problem is it's hurting us. So it needs, we need the support so that that part of the culture doesn't need to be there. We can support our colleagues in other ways than showing up to work when we're sick. Um, and then the COVID workers' compensation cases, DD Mac. Who knows what's gonna happen there? I suspect there's a lot of concern legally as to how, okay, well then where did they get COVID? Was it in the hospital? How do you prove it was in the hospital? You know, wasn't this something that happened at the party they went to on where it's on social media, where they're at this party not wearing masks? And you could see that that's just gonna spin into insanity very, very quickly. Um, and Susie says, on top of shortages, we now have peop more people retiring than would have, right? Because who the hell is gonna continue working in a system that devalues you? You know, you've already gone up to age whatever and you're just like totally tired of it. Gary Molak says, um, or maybe it's Jerry Molak, says uh, 15 ventilators, seven nurses, no techs, COVID nurses cannot assist with non-COVID patients, everyone suffers. It's, it's, it's a mess. So on that note, here's a call to action, start meeting with people in your groups and saying, what, are, what can we do to make this better? And it's really hard. I know leaders in big organizations who are struggling with this, not for lack of trying, but it means that we need to have open, honest, authentic conversations with our leadership, right? And we need to leave comments and threads like this and be able to have discussions without fear of being fired uh, as to how we can do this better. Because I'll tell you, the next pandemic is gonna be way worse than this. Like this is nothing. I keep saying this is a rounding error on a real deadly airborne pandemic that is coming inevitably, right? So we better get our stuff together, not just for pandemics, but for everything we do. Um, and on that note, uh, thank you to everyone who supports the show. You guys are basically paying for our Waiting on the World to Change music video, our John Mayer parody um, we're shooting this weekend with staff, we're gonna do it in a socially distanced, masked up way, which is gonna make for an interesting video. But I think it's an important message to our leaders and our political leaders and other people who have just really been caught with their pants down during this whole thing. Um, and on that note, please share this video. Um, do what you can to spread the word about this movement. And I love you guys and we are out. Peace, stay well and stay woke.
Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, It just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.